0: Ayer's on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer. Okay.
1: Sure enough, here we are. We're uh, in Park City today, in Park City, Utah, so we're, we're home for Rare Monday, and we love it. Don't you love this time of year? Spring is coming, the grass is green, kids are about to get out of school. Some parents love that, and other parents are like, Oh, no, what am I going to do with them for the whole summer? i got to find a summer school. I can't have them running around here at the
0: home all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I loved having the kids home in the summer. Sorry to those of you who just hate it, but I mean, because there are difficult times, but I really used to start counting down the days about the first of April of when I could have my kids back, and we had so much fun in the summers, um, you know not every day in every way as as you all know who are parents. but um, I do have to say we were on the road a little bit this week. We went up to see richard 's mother, and for those of you who have aging parents, probably many who are listening. Um, it's a sad deal. It's a hard thing. Some are, you know, perfectly healthy physically, and their mind is gone. Other ones are perfectly healthy with their mind, and their bodies are gone. And so, you know, we never know what's going to happen to us. But we've been thinking about this a lot lately because we're working on a new book.
1: Indeed, we are. Was that my was that my cue to come in and tell about the new book? That's what it was. Well, I wanted to call it Life in Full how the last fourth of your life can be better than the other three-fourths combined. But Linda, who always, you know, <laughs> vetoes my ideas, said, no, no one will know what the heck that means. Well, it
0: wasn't too snappy, honey. we well, got to figure out snappy. So, so,
1: so the working title now is "The Gifts, The Gifts of Age, A Baby Boomer's Guide. You know, it's so interesting that we live in a world where Baby boomers, technically, are people who were born between 1946 and 1964, 18-year span. And, um, you know, it's the biggest generation that ever came along. That's why, of course, it's called baby boomers. But that's the generation that no one can imagine them ever growing up or turning 30 or whatever. And here they are in their 50s and 60s. And it's the biggest uh, group of people ever to reach that stage of life. And so we thought, hey, be a good target for a new book. Plus the simple fact that we, uh, I hate to admit it, are in that stage ourselves. But the point is, the, actually I shouldn't say that because really the whole point of this book as it's taking shape is we need not to fight age. We need not to resist it, although it's great to try to stay in shape and avoid some of the uh, pitfalls and, and problems of age. It's also a wonderful thing to celebrate age and to realize that as we get to this phase of our lives, and if you're a young parent listening, maybe you should be thinking about your parents right now. It's a wonderful stage, and what we've gained really far outweighs what we've lost. We've lost a step on the tennis court. We've lost a Uh, A couple of strokes on our handicap in golf, or added them, I should say. But think of all we've gained, experience, contacts, perspective, awareness, so many things. We are so smart. (laughs) We are so smart. And if only kids our kids, those who are parents of our grandkids, would just listen to every word we say, then we could totally raise those grandkids for
0: them. No kidding. We know all the answers. And, you know, as we have mentioned before, uh, Richard has a really hard time not giving advice for those answers. I do
1: give advice. I don't try to contain myself in any way.
0: No, but that was after an agreement, which, if you've heard before, sorry, but just to reiterate re- uh, that, um, we decided a long time ago that, and we actually made a pact with the kids when they were all at a reunion, that it would uh, would be okay if we would give advice that they would not be offended, but... We would not be offended if they did not take our advice.
1: So yeah, yeah. So we, so the point is, we throw out advice all the time. But um, <laughs> you know, I think I think what's so intriguing. We we also teach a little class on um, marriage and family relations, and I thought the discussion was so interesting the other day, Linda, because it was it was all about um, you know parents really thinking of... the um, Parents are the stewards over their children. They really are, and no one else is. And, and grandparents are important, and uncles and aunts are important, and so on. But the parents are really the stewards. Now, the thing I thought was interesting, though, Linda, is the kind of a group consensus there that, yes, we, the parents, are the stewards. We're in charge of our kids. But what a team we have if we really try to use all of the in-laws and all of the outlaws, basically everyone we can is our team in raising these kids, particularly the grandparents, but also some of the uncles and aunts. And we got into some interesting discussions about how sometimes when you're facing a problem with one of your own children, I hate to say it, but you'll all recognize this is the truth. Sometimes you're the least effective one, to talk to that child about that problem because you don't have any social distance. You're the parent. You're around all the time. And sometimes it's hard to get kids to listen to you. And sometimes an uncle or a cousin or someone that the kids really look up to but they don't see him every day, they're not dealing with them every day, can actually step in and give type of advice in an effective manner that you, as the parent, and I'm not saying this is always the case, I mean, you're the parent and usually you're the one that needs to advise and counsel and, and direct the kids, but every once in a while, it's pretty nice to be able to call in a grandparent or an uncle or someone maybe a little closer to the child in age who can say, look, here's how it is.
0: Well, and let me just add, sometimes siblings... Yeah. It really is important to include siblings because we, you know, we've had a daughter going back and forth on a relationship with a guy, and and uh, she just won't listen to anything we say. But as soon as the sibling says you should consider this, you could consider this, then you know she's on board. I think it makes yes. a huge difference.
1: There's no doubt about it. Well, I think that's the key. Parents need to say, oh, "Here's my team." Well, here's my, here's my subjects, here's my concerns, they're my children, and here's my team, and I'm gonna work with all of them, and I'm gonna get to the bottom of these problems. The thing you don't wanna do as a parent, and the thing, unfortunately, that we see so many parents doing is, I don't know how else to say it, but bluntly, and that is ignoring the problem. It's so easy sometimes as a parent to be in denial and to say, oh, I don't think my kid could really um have a problem with it, you know, with with drugs. I mean, he, he must just be in a bad mood right now or a bad phase. It, it, our our first tendency is always to say, "Oh, there's no big problem here. It must be some little thing." Not my kids, other kids, yes, but not my kids. And and even on things that aren't huge big things like drugs or or recreational sex or or drinking or whatever, these awesome, big, huge, troublesome problems, there's many lesser things where we just want to ignore it. You know, if a kid is getting bullied a little at school or if a kid doesn't have the friends he needs or if he has some really, really bad friends that are having a negative impact on him, if we're not careful as parents, we say, oh, that's just a phase, that'll pass, no big deal when what we ought to be saying is let's understand exactly what's going on here and let's talk to people who know maybe what we don't, if it's a teacher or someone that might know more than you do, and pin down what the problem is. It's like a a medical analogy in a way. You know, sometimes when we're a little sick or we have a symptom, Our tendency is to say, oh, it'll just go away, let's ignore it, and and sometimes that's okay, but, you know, to find out all you can and pin it down and know what it is and how to correct it makes you feel better right away, and it's the same with our kids. We need to cut through everything, and sometimes it involves explaining to a child, look, I'm your parent. We don't have any secrets from each other. I need to know about this situation and once you get to that point with a child i mean it's amazing how many parents really kind of pussyfoot around with their kids and okay honey if you don't want to tell me i guess you don't have to and and that that's just bad parenting we need kids need to understand that we're the parents we need to know and if you don't tell us we'll find out somewhere else so hopefully you will tell us that's That's what you gotta. You gotta have that understanding with kids.
0: You know, I got a question this week on a TV show I did about uh, bullying because you brought that up, Richard. I thought I'd mention that (coughs) even grandparents can intervene. If you see something like that, you really do need to go to the parent and say, "We need to do something about this. What can I do to help? Who can I talk to?" Um, We you know, there are just so many things that need to be taken care of and nipped in the bud, and sometimes we can see really dangerous things like that. And if we don't intervene, we're going to be sorry if we didn't. Now, you can give that advice to your children, but don't be offended if they don't take it. Well,
1: and one one thing, uh, just one little caveat to this, Linda. I'm not suggesting, neither of us are suggesting that uh, you be a helicopter parent. We're not suggesting that you hover around and and any little problem there is, you've got to step in and solve it. You've got to take ownership of that problem. You've got to deal with it as the parent. No. In fact, there are many things where you're far better to back off and say, well, I think this is something that, uh, this, this child's got to work out on his own. But there's a big difference between that and ignoring the problem or not understanding the problem. See, what, I think what we're saying is, Know what's going on without caveat, without exception, without partiality. Just know it. Just know what's going on. Insist on knowing what's going on. And then if once you understand it, you say, you know, I think that's a battle he's got to fight on his own. I'm going to back off. I'm not going to. I mean, that could be something like, um, you know, he's he's not. Uh, uh, I don't know. What's a good example of something where you'd want to back off on, Linda? Maybe well,
0: just... I was just laughing about one of our daughters who talked to me last week, and she said, Mom, I don't want to be a helicopter parent. I don't want to be, but I am. I'm so worried about so-and-so's friends, or I'm so worried about these grades that are not as good as they should be. And, you know, I just, I feel like I have to control that, and I really know that if the kids have got to own that, and, and I, there's nothing I can really do to change them. All I can do with this daughter that I don't approve of friends. they're, she said, they're not bad friends. They're just not the best friends. And I, I can think of a lot of friends that would be better for her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, those kinds of things are really interesting because we do tend to be helicopter parents, even if we don't want to be.
1: So we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to try to distinguish a little more sharply between the problem of not knowing what's going on with kids And the other end of the spectrum of trying to be a hovering helicopter parent, finding the middle. We'll come back in just a moment. And we're back for the second half of today's Ayers on the Road.
0: Um, We really um, were originally talking about aging, and then we actually are going to wrap up with that at the end. But right in the middle here, we're talking about Helicopter parenting, which is <clears throat> so easy to do and so um, hard to get away from.
1: You know, you know, Linda, who I think uh, is the best uh, as far as books I've ever read, and you'd probably agree, the best example of not being a helicopter parent of all people, Rose Kennedy. We wrote, we read a book called Times to Remember by President Kennedy's mother, and. The whole theme that runs through that book is, you know, you've got to give kids a great environment for learning, and you've got to be involved with them at every step of the way, but you've got to not be a hovering, overly protective parent. And she had some great examples where, you know, it's better for a kid to, you know, fall out of a tree and break his arm than, than for you to be so restrictive. Don't, don't ever go up in a tree. You might hurt yourself. And kids, uh, her whole point is you, you create, if you're too much of a hovering, overprotective parent, it really backfires on you and you, uh, you create very timid kids who don't ever reach their full potential. So the key, I think, is finding the balance between avoiding that overprotectiveness but never, never being I guess what we could call an ostrich parent where you got your head in the sand. In fact maybe that's our metaphor Linda. On one end of the spectrum is a helicopter parent and on the other end of the spectrum is an ostrich parent, head in the sand, doesn't know what's going on with the kid doesn't really even want to know because, oh, it might be something bad and I don't have time to deal with that. You know, you don't want to be either of those two extremes.
0: Absolutely. And just because you mentioned Rose Kennedy, we we read that book 20 years ago probably. Yeah, it had and influence on us. I, it really did. I, the thing I remember from that book is that because it seems like such heaven to me, Because they had nine, too, I think, didn't they? Yeah, they did. And um, they actually had a nanny that took the babies and the little kids under six or so and fed them in a different room so they could really have in-depth conversations oh, with their older kids. And man, would that be nice. That would be really nice. But they'd some, go,
1: yeah, they'd go in the other room and they they had a rule that you couldn't come to the dinner table unless you were ready to report on one article from yeah. the New York Times that day.
0: Yeah, that's right. But boy did they raise educated kids as we know so well. And kids who are really ready to contribute. And you know, that was, that's not being a helicopter parent. That's being a supportive parent who really ha- knows what's going on in the life of their kids. I mean, I assume that it got to friendships and so on. But it really is so important to remember that you do have to have quality time with these kids to really know what's going on. In fact, you have to be able to ask questions and I, we talked a little bit about questions last week, didn't we, Richard? I can't remember about yeah, the we questions did, that we you... we did a
1: little bit, and and you're right. I mean, I think if someone were to say to me, what is the... Well, I don't know, maybe this would be too extreme. What I was going to say is if someone said to me, what is the greatest skill that a parent can develop? That's an intriguing question. We'll have to think a little more about that. But one of my first impulses would be to say, if, you're, if you become really good... At asking questions, that's a powerful skill for a parent. And what I don't mean is sort of interview interrogation technique. "Hello, son, sit down. Let's go through your day. How was math? How was English? What did you do at recess?" I'm not. I'm not suggesting that kind of questions. In fact, the art of a good question is often um, starting with something that a child's willing to talk about, and then. Um, you're mainly just putting a question in your voice. Sometimes the very best question is when a child tells you something and you say, really? Or you say, really? Now that's a question. Really? That's a question. And, and it encourages the child to go ahead and, and move forward. And a great question is always, well, how did that make you feel? Well, um, interesting. And how do you think he felt? And whenever you ask a question that involves the word feel, you've got a pretty good question.
0: Uh, Absolutely. You know, last week we were, a couple of weeks ago now, I guess we were in Boston. And uh, it was so interesting because I met a man on Sunday in the foyer of the church who is doing a project with Clayton Christensen. And it's all about questions, he just said, we've discovered that the most successful people know how to ask the right questions, whether it's to their kids or whether it's to their colleagues or whoever. And uh, I don't know whether they were co-authoring a book about that or whether he was just interviewing Clayton's family. I know that he was talking to their children and asking them questions about their father and how they did it. And for those of you who don't know him, he is so popular right now. He can we say pop culture, but <laughs> in, well, in the education world, in the church world, in the writing world, he's so popular. And I do think that has a lot to do with his success.
1: Well, yeah, he's he's the. Mo- I'll tell you one thing. He's the most popular uh, professor at the Harvard Business School, and he's parlayed that into quite a following with his books on disruptive innovation and so on. But. But it is true that, uh, getting back to the question thing, again, I, I think this is this is really, this, it may seem a little subtle to you as a listener, but we're saying, don't be a helicopter parent. Do ask the right questions. And some may say, well, that's an oxymoron. A helicopter parent is somebody that's, what'd you do then? Well, what'd you do then? Well, who's this? Well, what's this? And sort of taking over a kid's life. and. And that could well be uh, being a helicopter parent, but that's what we're saying. Get over that. Get to where you're a good asker of questions, where the questions you ask are interesting to your child and really address how he's feeling about things, not some kind of an interrogation, because the better you are at asking questions that he will respond to, the more you'll know. And be flexible. It's not like you have a list of questions and you're gonna go down your list. That's, that's an interview. That's an interrogation. It's like you need to find one question good enough to get him talking and then you spin off other questions from what he says. For example, let's say you, you say, well, you know, um, did, how'd you feel about school today? Oh, not so good. Oh really? Well, what was up? Well, I don't know. Um, I think I need a new friend. Oh, you do now. Now see, now you can see the wrong and the right way to go on each of these. The wrong way is, well, what's the problem? Well, don't you have enough friends? Well, has someone been mean to you? Do I need to call someone's parent? I mean, that's the helicopter parent mentality. The good question mentality is just saying, well, that's interesting. You feel like you need a, a new friend now. Yeah, yeah, and mom, because. My my other friend, Amy, wasn't very nice to me today. Now, again, if you're a helicopter friend well, what did Amy do? Well, what did you do to her? You know, you it takes two to tangle. Do I need to call Amy's mom? No, no, back off and just say, oh, I get it. The reason you feel like you might need a new friend is that Amy wasn't so nice to you today. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, we were, and, you know, the kid will just go on and on, tell you a lot of stuff. If you can avoid this sort of let me take over your problem and deal with it mentality.
0: It's so true. And before we wrap up here, we should go back to where we started because it does apply to questions. There are so many questions when you're dealing with an aging parent. I've, we could spend a whole show on this. Soon, I think we but.
1: should. We should Because, you know, by the way, sorry I didn't mean to interrupt, Linda, but that that is one other use of the word helicopter. Some people, a lot of people these days, feel like they're hovering between taking care of their kids and taking care of their aging parents. And that's a different take on the word. But you can see the frustration, like, oh, I'm needed over here, I'm needed over here, I'm needed over here, I better shuttle back and forth like a helicopter, get back and forth to them because they both need me. And, and the, the most common word for that is the sandwich generation. A lot of you listening are sandwiched
0: between the needs of your kids and the needs of your aging parents. It's so true. So many of our listeners I think are in that boat and it really is such an interesting time because both are so needy and you know just the questions of you know can we take care of this aging parent or should we turn the care over to someone else or who could take care of her or is this going to get worse or better or what should the meds be and all that is just it's so difficult. There's so many questions you have to ask yourself when you're dealing with that. So we really will spend a a whole show on that sometime because we feel like we have learned so much. Richard's mother is 90, has no idea who any of us are. Approaching
1: 91.
0: Yep, approaching 91. And um, she just asks the same questions over and over and over again. And we've finally realized that if we just distract her with talking about her childhood, she, you know, goes to that. And just ask questions about her childhood, and she is quite amazing in being able to have that long-term memory. Yeah,
1: I think we. I think next week would be an ideal time for Ayers on the Road to explore further this aging question. For one thing, we're going to spend almost this entire week coming up with my mother Ruth, and so we'll have a lot fresh on our minds and. It's a huge area of tremendous complexity and, you know, sometimes I, I was just thinking how interesting it is. Um, many listeners will know who Elder L. Tom Perry is, one of the apostles in the LDS Church and a dear, dear, dear and long-term friend of ours. And Until recently, he was taking care of Barbara, his wife's mother, the two of them were, and, and he, Who
0: was 101. Yeah,
1: he had a sense of humor about it. He said one day, you know, there's something wrong when a 90-year-old is taking care of a 100-year-old. Something's not right in the world. But I think a lot of our listeners feel that same way, Linda, like there's something not right in the world when I'm taking care of my kids and I'm also taking care of my aging parents so we'll get into that a little more next week
0: yeah we'll look forward to uh, talking about that and we uh, look forward to this week with a little bit of apprehension and a lot of excitement to see what we can do to help so thanks for joining us today and we'll see you again soon